Let's face it, people are busy. Their calendars are packed and their inboxes are full and carving out 30 minutes to tell you what they didn't like about your sales process or product is probably not at the top of their priority list. So how do you get your buyers to schedule time to sit down and talk with you if it's not a priority? Well, there's a science to it. The operations team here at Closed is always testing things like email subject lines, incentives, and even the timing of outreach to optimize the performance of our win-loss programs. Today, Braden and Riley are gonna sit down with you and share some of the best tips and tricks that they've discovered to help you get buyers to sit down and spend 30 minutes with you to tell you what happened behind closed doors during their sales journey. If you follow their advice, I guarantee you will increase your response rates and the value of your win-loss program will increase. I hope you enjoy the episode. The only thing worse than losing a big deal or missing quota is not knowing why. Here at Closed, we've conducted tens of thousands of buyer interviews for hundreds of B2B companies, and we've uncovered what drives your prospects to buy, not buy, or even churn. In each episode of The Win-Loss Show, we'll show you how you can leverage feedback directly from your buyers to help you increase your win rate, perfect your sales experience, nail your marketing messaging, build the right products, and hit your quota with confidence. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Win-Loss 101. You are viewing week three of this six-week course, teaching you how to uh, pick a revenue problem and solve that revenue problem using the basic practices of win-loss analysis. Um, I am excited to be here today with two amazing closed employees. One is Brayden Anderson. He is the VP of operations here, and you were employee number three? Yeah. Yeah, so you've yeah. been here since basically... The good old days when yeah. it was the couple employees sitting in our CEO Spencer's basement. Yeah, it was just the three of us in the basement. Yeah, That's so you've fun. been around the block. Kicking around, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Braden is probably one of the most well-rounded win-loss experts in our company. We're really excited to have him. And we also have Riley Thacker here with us. And she is an operations manager. And these two humans right now are responsible largely for um, reaching out to thousands and thousands and thousands of buyers making sure that they uh, book appointments with our consultants, um, that everything runs smoothly in that process. And your knowledge and expertise is going to help help us a lot today as we talk about this this subject, because this is the um, in this third week, this is the final week of homework assignments that you have to complete in order to claim your three free win loss analysis interviews provided by our closed team. So pay special attention and do today's homework assignment and then jump. You can head over to winloss101.com and find out um, how to redeem those three free interviews. And you'll get a lot of other awesome bonus resources, many of which we're providing um, today. So a couple of quick announcements. Number one, just to recap the last two weeks, in case this is your first time tuning in, in week one, we talked about how to choose a revenue problem and how the beauty of win-loss analysis is that it helps you identify hidden revenue problems and then solve them. And so um, the next six, that, this six-week program, you should be focusing on one specific revenue problem. And then last week, we got to sit down with some amazing experts, Lauren and um, Jonathan Stevens, and they talked about building out your interview guide so you feel prepared for when you actually sit down with your buyers and talk to them about what their experience was like so you can discover some of those problems and start solving them. Um, so today, we're going to talk about specifically, now that we have an interview guide and now that, that we've chosen a revenue problem, how the heck do we get in contact with our buyers? How do we get them on the phone, get them on a Zoom call and actually schedule an interview with them? And I think this is probably the biggest logistical hurdle 
for a lot of people who are starting a win-loss analysis project. So I would love to start off with you guys just talking about um, where where should our viewers, where should our participants in Win-Loss 101 start? Yeah. Yeah. And I think to kind of add to that, Nate, um, there's, this is probably one of the most like under underestimated aspects of running a win-loss program is the, the steps necessary to actually delivering the program, right? And I love the flow that you've done so far of identifying the problem, getting the interview guide. And now it's, now how do we get people to actually schedule these interviews that we're so prepared for now? Um, so yeah, I think that's just a great caveat to understand is it is a decent amount of work and we've implemented some processes over the years and we've, we do a lot of research around this. So we yeah. think we know what we're talking about when it comes to this stuff, but so we hope to be able to shed some light if you're doing it yourself, or if you're going to utilize uh, a third party to run your kind of program, then these should be great tips and, and tricks that, that we've learned both the hard way and the right way as we've gone through and, and run these programs for our clients. So where let's say you've got um, somebody who's doing win-loss analysis for the first time mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, I am ready. I, I've got my interview guide. Yeah. I've got, I've got the problem I want to solve. Now I need to start reaching out to some, to some buyers. What's next? Yeah. Where, where should they go to start finding the right people to talk to? Yeah. Totally. Riley, what do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, I would start with your CRM, right? Whether you Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever system that you use, that's going to be your, your source of truth for finding, you know, the buyers that you're have gone through your pipeline, um, understanding, you know, who you should be reaching out to and be able to apply different filters and stuff based on the revenue problem you're trying to solve to identify the right contacts to then reach out to. Great. So what if they're a little bit nervous about the hygiene of their CRM? <laughs> uh, you're not alone. Uh, I think that's a pretty common thing. Um, it, you can't use that as an excuse to not get started, though. Um, those will be identified and those can be opportunities to improve your CRM hygiene. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to happen for the most part. No CRM has perfect hygiene. So don't let that prevent you from actually getting started and going at it. Awesome. So, okay. I go to my CRM. I go to a HubSpot. I go to a Salesforce and do I pull all of my buyers? Like let's start getting into the brass tacks of like how many contacts should I have if I'm trying to solve, if I'm trying to do one specific project and then maybe well, what you can yeah. find the right ones. Yeah. I think that's going to be dependent on a couple of things. Um, one, um, what is the sample that you're actually looking for to solve the problem that, that you guys have alluded to in previous conversations? Like you have a problem, not every single opportunity is going to help solve that problem. So you can start filtering and getting really specific to the contacts, whether yep. it's like, Maybe it's a region, or maybe it's an opportunity size, or maybe it's a product line that they that they were evaluating. So first identifying what are the filters to start narrowing it down. Then the other question is just how many interviews you intend to do, right? Like if you're only intending to do 20 interviews, you don't need 10,000 opportunities to reach out to. Right. Um, we'll talk about participation rates with this, but you know, you want to be very intentional of how many interviews we're actually going to do and then what qualifies for the, the sample that we're trying to solve for would, it would be like where I would yeah. start. Yeah. If you only have bandwidth to conduct five to 10 interviews, like you shouldn't be reaching out probably to everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You'll have too many, um, interviews come through. So, um, something to consider as well, just to add to what Braden said is make sure you do get a balance of wins and losses. Sometimes people are tempted just to reach out to losses because it's, you know, a big pain point. They want to understand you know, what are the main reasons why I'm losing these deals so we can go and win more. But in order to really get a full comprehensive picture of, you know, how you're doing as a business and, you know, you need to understand what you're doing well um, 
in order to win more as well. So make sure that you are reaching out to both wins and losses. Um, we do tend to see a better participation rate for wins. So you might not have to reach out to as many wins as you do losses, but I would say make sure you do have a balance of both. Yeah. And the other thing I would say with that is when it comes to like participation rates, that's going to be a big factor, right? Like knowing how many people are likely to even respond is a big factor of how many you need to pull. Um, for reference, you know, if you compare this inner, you know, for talking specifically about interviews, interview feedback versus like surveys, if you get a three to five response rate on your buyers on a survey, you're probably amped out of your mind. Like three to five really percent. Excited. Three to five percent. Okay. I'm amped, right? Um, and you think of naturally it might be worse than that when you go after an interview because it's a, a 30 minute engagement. Like why would these people be so willing to, to talk to us? But um, you'll typically see a higher response rate, but like Riley said, it might change based off of wins. It might change based off of losses. Um, it changes by buyer persona as well. Like who, who is your buyer? If you have a really technical buyer, they're not likely to talk to you. Like they're a lot less likely right. um, yeah. versus maybe a marketer. Marketers love to talk like Nate. Nate loves to talk and he's going to share all the feedback that he has. And so depending on who your buyer is, is going to greatly affect the response rate that you have. So just consider that like, and just some general numbers, you know, if you have more of a technical buyer, expect maybe closer to the five to 10. If you have maybe a marketer or some of those other different types of personas, you can expect 20 to 30%. And so consider that in the evaluation of how many names you even need to reach out to based off of those other factors. I love that you have me pegged just by my role. <laughs> it's so true. Sorry to stereotype there. No, it's good, man. If you, I literally, I got a, somebody reached out to me um, yesterday and I haven't been overly impressed with their software that mm -hmm. we've been using, but they're like, hey, do you want to do a case study? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. want to give me a microphone? You want to highlight me? Okay. Let's do it. So, yeah, that's totally true. It's, and it's interesting. You need to take into consideration some things like what, what's totally. the personality type or the persona that you're reaching Yeah, it's hard to have a general participation rate that we can say, like, um, that you just have to consider these other aspects of right. who the buyer is, whether it's a win or a loss, right. where they're located geographically, like all of those things. Have if you're interviewing that. like a database administrator, he's less likely to say yes than totally. content. Yeah. yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Any other things that we should um, take into consideration when we're pulling a list of contacts or thinking about who we want to reach out to? Yeah, I think something we haven't covered yet is understanding and, and taking into account the recency of deals that mm. you are looking at because um, you should probably have a time filter when you're pulling that data out of your CRM um, because you'll want to take into account that people who evaluated your solution a really long time ago probably aren't going to remember very many details about their evaluation. You don't want to so talk to a have... buyer that's three years old? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're not going to have as much feedback yeah. to share. So I would say six months is probably a good rule of thumb to, to make sure that they actually do have valuable feedback to share and they understand yeah. and remember the evaluation. Yeah, they'll be more likely to participate too if it's more recent. Yeah. And they'll have better data to provide. So yeah, six months is great. Obviously, even sooner than that is better. Like the best process is within a couple of weeks that the opportunity is closed, you're starting that outreach to them to try to get that yeah. feedback. But ideally yeah, it's like months. ongoing. It's not just a one-time contact poll. Totally. And I'm assuming that you've got buyers who make it a little bit farther down the buyer journey and like, depending on the buyer and how far they make it through the process, especially if they're a lost deal, they might have yeah. different types of feedback. Like yeah. If they just talk to an SDR or sure. if you get someone maybe in the discovery phase and that's all they got, like that might not be enough. You're, that's not solving the problem you're looking to solve. Maybe it is. Maybe you're wanting to know why we lose so many people in the discovery phase. 
those are great people to con to contact. So it comes back to this the problem that you're really trying to solve of how far in the sales process they actually got that will influence who you should going after, right? Like most people want later stage. Yeah. But again, maybe you're solving the problem. Why do we lose so many opportunities at discovery? Let's go hit all of those people and find out what's going on. Okay, so I want to do a quick recap here. So we've talked about go to your CRM, um, pull a list of contacts, and some things to take into consideration are the balance of wins versus losses. Like, don't just go for all losses. Mm -hmm. The response rate is going to be a little bit lower for loss for losses, but you can. And the data is not that great. And the data. If it's just losses, you want to know why you're winning. So yeah, yeah. always right. have a strong balance of both. Will you talk just a little bit more about that? About because yeah. there might be some resistance internally from leaders who are like, no, we just want to find out why we're losing. Totally. So and, and I totally get how the do you merit. make the case for we should talk to wits as well? If you're not understanding why you actually win, you're not going to win more. Like yeah, you want to go after your losses and solve the problems why your losses, but there's a lot of reasons why you might be winning. Whether it's the product or sales processes that work really well. Those are aspects that you need to then evangelize throughout the organization yeah. and try to hit on more in the sales process. And so if you are only focused on losses, um, we just it's it's just not going to bode as well for your organization. You have to have both. And the same is also true if you only focus on wins. No one want, You don't want to just hear why you're doing so well. You need to also hear what things need to be improved. And so we've we've seen a great uh, a great amount of successes. We've done, gone after both of those and take it a step farther churn and CSAT as well, right? Not just win last, but why are we losing customers after they've been a customer? Why are customers staying with us for so long? I think are, are extra added data points that, that will add a lot of value to your program. Those as well. are super valid questions. Mm -hmm. And then we also talked about thinking about the recency of the opportunity. So don't go interview people who, you know, went through the buying process five years ago. Think about the role of the person yeah. that you're going to be yeah. talking to, which we talked about in our interview guide episode last week about how not all buyers are created equal. You need to kind of yeah. understand who you're talking to. Can I hit one more point on that, Nate? Please. Riley alluded to that was really good. And I think it's really important is you can go a couple of routes with this. Um, you can just go pull a list every three to six months. That works. It works well. But Riley made a great point. If it needs to be ongoing. The best programs are ones that are, you know, we'll use the word automated if they can be like, it's a dripping process. As soon as that op closes, you should be reaching out, not mm. viewing this as like every three to six months, we have to go do another poll. One, that's going to slow you down. You might not get as good of data. Um, there's a lot of value in the dripping of this. And so we that's one of our best, biggest recommendations if we're giving recommendations is don't always look at this like it's project-based every three to six months. Look at it, it's like it's an ongoing thing and the best ones are ones that are plugged into your CRM and, is, and it's happening as those yeah. deals happen. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we talked about the win-loss maturity curve since we started doing win-loss win 101. This is something that definitely will come up. And what you're talking about is the mo most mature version of a sure, win-loss yeah. uh, program, sure. one that's ongoing. So, I forgot, we're in the 101 class. We're not in the yeah. 100 level No, but I like yet. that you're painting the picture. And in an ideal world, this is where you want to get to. Yeah. And this is where Closed helps people get to is they can basically run their win-loss program on autopilot. You yeah. know, We do all of the work to make it an ongoing process for them, which is a really great pitch for us. But a lot of the people watching here are just trying to like experiment. They're doing win-loss totally. for the first time. They're tackling one project. They're trying to prove the value. They're trying to get some buy-in from their leaders. And so if you're not there yet, that doesn't mean win-loss analysis can't be valuable. Totally. But we should be striving to get where Braden just told us sure. you can't go. I'll focus more on the, you know, the 100 level. No, you're good. I, liked, I like painting a picture of, of what it can look like. Uh, we got a question here from Rodrigo. Um, that I'm pulling up on the screen. And he says, do you want to validate the contracts uh, or contacts with the sales team before mm -hmm. reaching out to them? 
Um, his concerns are CRM data quality, sales team might be afraid about the process. And this is actually a perfect segue into the topic that we were going to talk about next. So maybe we can address, address this question as we yeah. jump into talking about getting potential resistance from gatekeepers. And, and um, I don't know if you want to speak to yeah. validating the contacts with sales team before we jump into that. Or Such a good question. Such a good question and a common question. Um, and it's a hard one to answer. Some of it will depend on the culture of your organization. Um, we, we tend to say, have a great relationship with the sales organization as you're running this program. If you don't, your program will not be successful. People won't care about the data, but you have to balance that with not allowing them to veto opportunities that we reach out to or that you reach out to because that's going to introduce bias, right? Like if, if sales reps, maybe they messed up really bad, of course, they're going to tell you not to, to reach out yeah. to that contact, but you need to. Um, there's still something you can learn. There's, there's a lot you can learn. Uh, and those might be the best ones to learn from, honestly. So you have to have a, a strong balance of, and a strong relationship with your sales organization, but um, not at the expense of turning away opportunities. And so what we would say is you don't have to validate every like contact. Ideally, you have a primary contact that is being tagged in your CRM. But if you don't, it's still better to just reach out to more people and the right people are going to respond with feedback, right? Like if you have 10 people and you're not sure who the best person to reach out to, I don't think it's a, a huge problem. If you reach out to all 10, the nine will tell you I'm not the right person and you'll figure out who the right person is that you need to get feedback from. Fantastic. Now, Rodrigo, we're going to dive in um, here and, and start talking about when you potentially run into that resistance with the internal gatekeepers. So if we don't answer your full question, make sure to ask a follow-up question here. Um, so, I guess my, my big question here is, especially if you're doing win-loss for the very first time, there might be some apprehension, especially from the sales yeah. reps or sales leaders. Is this a witch hunt? Am I going to get fired? Am yeah. I going to get held up in as, as an example of what not to do for right. the whole company? And there, so there's going to be that anxiety. So if you're reaching some pushback about pulling a list of contacts or reaching out to buyers, particularly from uh, any internal stakeholders, what advice do you have? Uh, for people to maybe shift that tide and yeah. start getting getting people on board. Yeah, I'll I'll take the first one and then I'll turn it over to you, Riley. Like okay. the, the number one thing, and it, it goes 10 times what I just said, like you have to involve the sales organization, especially involve the product team, involve your CMO. Like you have to have the best programs are the ones that you do a good job of early on involving these people. So they feel a part of the program and not just recipients of the, of the data. Um, if you have the CRO or your head of sales bought in to doing a win-loss program, you're not going to have a problem getting contacts, right? The sales rep that complains and whines that they're reaching out to their contacts will not be a problem. Now that you should make sure you're monitoring and not reaching out maybe to current opportunities and things like that and have systems in place. But the, the more buy-in you have from senior leaders in the organization, that's step one to not have these issues, honestly, like it, it will greatly minimize the amount of issues you have of getting contacts from people that might have a problem with it. So that's yeah. the first thing I would say. Totally. I think that makes it way easier. And then um, another thing I would add is making sure that they understand that this is something that can benefit them, right? Because they're they're afraid because totally. they're worried that it's going to harm their career or their reputation um, or their future at the company with the feedback that's given. And so I think it's helpful for them to understand like, no, this is actually going to help you. Like the feedback that we get is going to help you win more deals, help you close more deals. Um, and I think every sales rep wants to do that. Yeah. So I think as long as you help them understand, like big picture, we're trying to improve as a company. We're not trying to single sales reps out. We just want to help 
you know, everyone improve, um, improve our offering, our pricing, our sales process, everything. Um, it's not a witch hunt. We're just trying to improve as a business. I love that. So it's really good that that's essentially you're helping to shift and shape the culture, um, a a culture of transparency, uh, a culture of learning. And if you've got good salespeople, they'll buy into that. Totally. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, okay. So we alluded getting really specific on the number of people that we should be pulling, but just for somebody out there who's going, Oh man, if I go to my CRM and I use all these filters, like, I just want to know roughly how many people I should expect to have to reach out to, to book like 10 interviews. Yeah. What, just as a ballpark starting point, can you give people who've never done this before an idea of how many contacts they should be pulling? So basically what is a common participation rate? Is that another way to say that? Yeah. Um, and again, this goes back to some of the things we mentioned earlier, of like who your buyers are, because um, that's going to affect it, whether it's win or loss. We generally see, you know, ballpark 20 to 30% on average across all of our clients. Now, again, some of our clients are much higher than that. Right. Some of our clients are lower than that. So factor in what we've already learned about yeah. personas. and Yes, and, those uh, are a big factor in it. But yeah, if, so if you needed to get, if, if you needed 10 interviews, um, assuming a 20% participation rate, you can do the math on that and you're, you're going to need, you know, 50 contacts in order to get that. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's just general. Um, you might defer to just having more just to be safe, um, and, and getting it done quicker rather than letting it prolong and going back and asking for more names. Mm-hmm. And can I get 10 more names? Cause I need that one more interview or whatever it might be, or two more interviews. So, um, it's best to defer to getting more contacts and, and starting with a larger sum of, of contacts to go after. So great. Does that answer that question? Yeah, it, it totally answers that question. And with that question, I, I want to jump into the, I'm trying to go chronologically because I've never done no, this, this before. I've never been in your seat. So right. I'm trying to go chronologically in my brain through the process that, uh, that our win loss one-on-one participants are going through. Totally. So I've gone to the, the sales team, sales leaders, I've got permission. They've got, I've got buy-in. I pull a list of like 50 to hundred contacts. Mm-hmm. The next step is I got to reach out to them. Right. Yep. Yes. I, I, I actually have to send out an email. <laughs> um, so what can you tell me about, uh, scheduling an interview with buyers? So just for a heads up, we have provided the email, like a template that closed uses for their first outreach. So I I'd actually love to talk a little bit about some of the best practices when you first start reaching out, um, yeah. what, what advice do you have? Like, maybe we can start with, um, do you have best practices for the first outreach? Yeah. So the email that we provided, we call the introductory email. Mm-hmm. Basically it's introducing the buyer to win loss analysis and helping them understand like why the organization is doing this and, and how it's going to benefit, you know, the company and the product. And so, Um, when sending that email, I'd recommend sending it from someone that either the buyer knows or someone higher up in the company that would show like, wow, this is a really like important thing to this organization. They really do want my feedback. Like the CRO or CMO just asked for my feedback. Like they must really value my feedback. I think that, um, really bodes well, um, for the people that receive that email. And if it's from someone they know, then it's like, they feel like, oh, like, you know, the sales are by work that totally. wants to hear, There's you know, like what I think. Obligation. Yeah. Like yeah. And they feel more obligated to do that because they have that relationship. Okay. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah. What I would add to that is, and it depends on if you're doing this yourself or using a third party, like obviously there's a third party, we do this and that email comes from our client introducing closed because otherwise they don't really know who we are. The buyers don't. 
But if you're use, if you're doing it yourself, you can still do an introduction email, but, but like Riley said, from someone else in the organization, maybe it's a sales rep, maybe it is still the CMO of introducing the program before you start your cadence of emails to get them to schedule. Right. So it, just a fine nuance of, you know, who's actually running the program and who that intro email can come from. And just a caveat for our viewers, this is a best practice, mm -hmm. but you don't have to have an introduction to start reaching out to Yeah, we've just buyers. seen that this this does influence participation rates for right. sure. So if, if you can't get that introduction, maybe it's like Still logistically yeah. not, not possible. Any advice on like, should you name drop? Yeah. Yeah. Say, hey, I personalized like, Alex, your sales totally. rep. Or, yeah. Any way you can personalize the outreach with like legitimate stuff. Like, yeah, I think that's a, a really good idea. Like, hey, I'm working with Alex. So you've been working on the sales team. I'm on the marketing team and we're looking to collect your feedback to help the organization improve. That works great. Yeah. And I know, I know initially like a fear I might have is that you're trying to like loop me back in, especially if I'm a close totally. deal. So should you mention anything in yeah. the email to say like, Hey, we're not trying to sell you or. And, and again, candidly, like that's one of the values of a, of a neutral third party is because closed isn't going to a third party vendors and going to try to sell obviously. Right. But yeah. I think that is a great point, Nate. If you are running your own program, I, it would be well worth your energy to put a caveat in there. Like this is not to resell you or anything like that. This is solely to get feedback to help us improve as, a, as an organization. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Now, Riley, I have a question for you. Okay. Um, I get a lot of emails. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my email inbox is just always full. And I've also run email marketing campaigns and I know um, how common it is for me to just essentially ignore or forget about an email or to delete an email yeah. and, or just not even like read it. So talk to me about, you send out this first batch of emails to invite people to book with you and maybe you get one response. Should you keep reaching out or if you don't want to pester, like what's you the You definitely should. Here? Yeah. So what we find is that you really need to be reaching out at least five times um, in order to get a good response rate. Mm -hmm. Like you need to take into account that, you know, people are out of office, people are busy, it might not be a good time, but it might be a good time a week from now. Mm. And so I think it is good to, sh to be persistent. Um, sometimes people are tempted just to send two or three because they don't want to make anyone, you know, upset or bug anyone. But, you know, this is a really important um, program for you to run and the buyers, they understand like that their feedback is important. And I think this part of that demonstration to them yeah. that like, Hey, your feedback is super important and we're being persistent because we really do care and we want to hear from you. Okay. Yeah. So reach out several times. Yeah. I think people default to like, Oh, I sent one or two emails. Like I don't want to, they, they clearly up. don't want They're not to give interested. me feedback, yeah. but no, it, it definitely takes persistence. And can we talk about the cadence of these emails? Mm. Like, am I sending out an email every other day? Am I sending out an every email 30 minutes. a week? <laughs> every 30 minutes. Yeah. That yeah. might work. Yeah. Um, no, it's a great question. And we do a lot of research on this and we're constantly researching this of what is the right cadence. Um, you know, if you do five emails, that's typically going to be over the space of about one and a half to two weeks for those two emails or for those five emails in that situation. Um, what we have seen is to have, you know, three to four days between those, but there is value in having immediate emails following each other. Like one day apart is a is an immediate reminder has actually shown to have a lot of yeah. success for our programs um but then you have to balance out with with not being annoying and so that's where you know one or two of those is fine but the majority should be spaced three to four to five days apart from each other okay that's really good feedback yeah. 
So mix up the cadence a little bit, maybe yep. maybe a little bit closer together towards the beginning. Yep, that's what, and then yep. space it out more. Yeah, our first two emails are a day apart, and then from there we space it out more. And, and we the majority of our interviews get scheduled on the second email or on the second email. Oh, that's good to know. So cool. yeah, so there's a little tidbit for you. Fantastic. <laughs> so be persistent, um, but also be kind and understanding. Yeah, and and what I do want to say, you know, to because that's a little counterintuitive. The most do schedule on the second. The third is where the, the, the third email is where we get the next most amount of interviews. So that's when you should not stop, like keep going and you're going to get in like a considerably more uh, amount of interviews based off of those follow-up emails. Any Riley, any advice on what content to include in some of those follow-up emails? We gave them the introduction email, but just to give them a, like an idea of how should you be following up? What should you be saying in some of those messages? Yeah, I think you can like you don't have to write a huge essay in every email. Like I think it does take a little bit of an explanation in that initial email, which is if you look at it, it is a little bit longer just to make sure that they fully understand, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. But in those follow-up emails, I think, you know, reiterating that point, but also not <laughs> like being too repetitive is going to mm -hmm. be important. Um, and something I'll, I'll just add as well that we found ha has helped increase our schedule rates is to make sure that you are incorporating different like methods of communication. Oh, I was going to ask about that. <laughs> so like our first go-to in, in B2B is email, but sometimes like maybe they've left the company or, you know, they're, it went to their junk. Like for whatever reason, you're not really getting in touch with them through email. Like don't be afraid to reach out through calling, through LinkedIn messaging. While the emails are being sent, we found is the most effective way to get people to actually schedule an interview. Mm. It's a good balance, balance yeah. of outreach. It's almost like sales. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that we've of utilized from, from the sales process and prospecting that has bode well for us. Right. For so sure. all you marketers who are like, I don't want to go into sales. I can never do it. Now you're being <laughs> faced with the reality that you might have to jump on the phone to some people, make some phone calls. Uh, that's funny. Um, now I, I want to, okay. I want to actually hit a question. Rodrigo sent a, a question, a follow-up question in that I think is really great. He said, do you want one buyer per meeting or would it be better to have multiple mm -hmm. buyers from the same client? This guy is really smart. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's thinking about things that I didn't really think big about. Questions. Yeah. Um, so there's, if you want multiple pieces of feedback from the same opportunity, which is great, right? Sometimes you have an economic buyer and you have a technical buyer. They both have great perspective that you want to get because they might have different points of views on why the deal was won or lost. We recommend doing those as separate interviews though. Um, having multiple people in one interview just doesn't, it, there's no form, there's no flow, there's no, it just gets kind of useless data. Probably choose up your time too. Choose up time. Yeah, one person's going to end up talking the whole time anyway, and then the yeah. other doesn't even get to give their input. And so- Yes, we do recommend if if you need to, if you have like really complex, long sell cycles, that's usually when we've seen it work the best to have multiple interviews with the same opportunity. But we would recommend those as separate meetings rather than as one. Yeah, then you can get their real honest opinion totally. instead of being influenced by the other person. Totally. Like, oh, well, they said that. So I was, think. I disagreed. But yeah, there's going to be group think when you have them all on the same call. So yeah. if you really want honest, unbiased feedback, I'd recommend doing it separately as well. Great answer. Yeah. Now, for those more technical buyers, those people that you talked about who may be less, a little bit more reluctant to jump on totally. a call that aren't Nate, that aren't like, <laughs> here to talk to you. Let me tell you all the things that I experienced. Um, what, do we ever, like, can you talk a little bit about incentives? Because I know we do sure. use incentives to kind of motivate people to jump on and increase those participation rates. Is yeah. there anything that we can share about uh, how we use incentives? Yeah, it, it's a common debate or common question of like, should we incentivize? Does that bias the data potentially? And there's actually been a lot of academic research on 
like peer reviewed type of research that suggests that when you do incentivize, it doesn't actually introduce bias into the results. So that's good to know. Now, especially with B2B buyers, I don't think that's going to be that that just won't really be an issue. Um, they and what why is because organ or individuals don't give this type of feedback just for the incentive, right? Like they're not doing this for a $50, $100, whatever gift card. Maybe they are, and that's, that's their thing. But what we've actually found is that people are more willing to do these types of feedback, win-loss feedback from a professional courtesy standpoint, from a reciprocation standpoint, right? Like whether it's a win or a loss, even if it's a loss, I'm going to come back and evaluate this company a year or two from now. Like, of course, I'd love for them to implement some of the reasons why we didn't win. And maybe it's product and they can go fix those things before we do another evaluation. If it's a win, obviously they're much more likely to do it. So um, the incentive though works. <laughs> That's what I will say is when we don't incentivize in our reach out, the participation rates are are considerably lower. And so yeah. while it's not the driving factor, it's an important factor. And, and similar to a lot of the things we've talked about today is like the point of these, it's kind of a shotgun approach is all of these things are aimed at improving the scheduling rate or the participation rate. This is another lever that has pretty significant impact. Yeah. So Riley, what types of, what types of incentives do you, have you seen work the best? Yeah. So we've done a lot of testing around this and a lot of experimentation to really find, you know, like what incentives do increase our participation rates the most. What we found is actually really interesting. Um, must be something with psychology, but people actually like numbers ending in five. Um, so like a 25 or a $75 gift card performs better than sometimes a higher gift card yep. amount, but ending in a zero, like a $100 gift card, for instance. So super fascinating. It's really interesting. And, um, so what I would say is, you know, if you are trying to optimize your like participation, rate, Don't always just think, you know, more money is more participation. Focus more on, you know, we need to show them that their time is valuable to us. Um, and have it end in a five and they'll be more likely to respond. (laughs) And I'll add to that of, and again, we keep saying this, but it does come back to who your buyer is. If your buyer is leadership teams, you might need to spend more on the incentive to get that level of individual to do it or technical or whatever it might be. But yeah, there is typically diminishing return that a higher incentive does not equal a higher participation rate. And we were blown away when we did this research. We thought the highest dollar amount would for sure give us the most yield and it just didn't. It was really fascinating. And that's one of the reasons why it's great to hire a third party just to hit that home again. <laughs> um, not not to be a shameless plug, but like this is what we do all day. Yes. And so we do run tests to figure out, hey, what's the ideal incentive to motivate somebody to Absolutely. say yes to us? And, and we have found some really surprising things. So that's a that's a really cool thing. Totally. And once again, just to preface, if this is if you're brand new at win loss analysis, you're just doing a program, and maybe you don't have budget to buy. $500 worth of gift cards or whatever, it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. It helps increase participation rates, but you don't have to have a bunch of gift cards to send out to your buyers to run a successful win-loss Correct. program. Yeah. Again, it's a it's an aid to help improve the amount of people you get to agree to an interview. It's not mandatory. In fact, most of the things that we've shared today are like best practices. It's a good, better, and best situation. Um, these are some of the best practices that we've been right. able to utilize in research. Cool. Now, I mean, do you, Riley, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think that's great. Uh, so let's hit on the bumping. Actually, I think that's a really good tidbit to hit on. As well. Oh yeah, that's true. Incentive bumping. Yes. What actually, is that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> so an incentive bump is basically 
increasing the incentive mid sequence. Um, and so like initially you might offer, you know, an X dollar amount gift card. I offer you 25 bucks. And then on email three, like you're like, hey, like because we know your time is so valuable, we've decided to increase our incentive amount. Pay and 50 bucks. Right. And and people are. Sorry, 55. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People, right. people respond really well to that. We do see like a significant bump in participation when we do bump the incentive as well. Cool. That's a great takeaway. Yeah. So Matt, the last thing I want to talk about, because I know a lot of people get hung up on the technical side of things when it comes to tactically implementing. Totally. Can we just talk about some of the tools that we use to automate and scale these processes? Yeah. So let's start because we're already talking about gift cards. Do we use a specific service to like automate sending out gift cards? And stuff sure. Like yeah, there are a lot of solutions out there for you know, automating the incentive process. Uh, to name a few, like Amazon has a great gift card solution. Uh, Tango card is another one. Um, those are some of the more commonly used incentive ones that we've used through the, the history of closed at different times. And so, uh, yeah, that will make your process infinitely easier in, in actually fulfilling the incentives. Cause the worst thing you can do is promise an incentive and then either not give it to them or even wait a long period of time to get them that incentive that will leave a poor taste in their mouth. And so if you do incentivize, make sure you get it to them as quickly as possible. And these solutions will definitely help with that. Great feedback. Yeah. Great feedback. Um, let's talk about the actual scheduling now. I'm sure there's a lot of different softwares and tools that could help with that process. Yeah. What are some of the, Riley, do you have any recommendations as far as that goes? Yeah, totally. Um, well, I think Calendly is one of the most common ones, an industry leader for sure. But there's other options as well, like Doodle and TimeTap. Um, are great options just to make the scheduling process a lot easier for you and for your buyers. So you're not exchanging yeah. 20 emails yeah. trying to find a totally. that works. It's such a hassle. This makes it so much easier and a lot more streamlined. Yeah, and it's it automates, it makes it the scheduling easy. So it's not the back and forth emails of let's pick a day and a time. Um, but it also just automatically adds it to their calendar. It adds it to your calendar. They have integrations as well that you can use to, to track these different things of who's scheduling and who's not. So yeah, those types of tools are really valuable just to make the whole process really seamless for the buyer and not, again, the last thing you want to do is leave a bad taste in their mouth. And if there's any part of the process that is frustrating to them, it's going to be counterintuitive and counterproductive to the point of doing a win-loss interview. Great. Um, so scheduling software, really important. Integrating that software with something like Zoom would be my assumption is probably a best yeah. practice. Everybody pretty much uses Zoom. Yeah, Zoom, GoTo, WebEx, these are some of the most commonly used, you know, face-to-face -face type of um, like an online meeting, meeting tool. Yeah, online meeting tools. So that's that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, <Thanks. Mate>. you're good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of people might think to just have a phone call and then take a ton of notes. That can work. Again, best practice is not that, but that would definitely work. Um, what we would definitely recommend is to use one of these solutions that auto records the conversation, then it can be transcribed. Then you're not like taking meticulous notes the entire time and not paying attention to the interview. Yeah. If it's just recorded, it allows you to focus on the interview. Take a couple of notes for sure, but you can focus on the right questions to ask as follow-ups from the interview guide that we talked about last time. Um, so having it auto record is, is an important factor in that as I was well. Just say that. Yeah. Like, I've, I've had that nightmare. Like I've recorded podcast episodes before and you have this amazing recording and then you look down and it's like, <gasps> yes, do the whole thing again. Yeah. We got to hit record. It's the worst feeling in the world. So these solutions have the auto record option set up. 
just set it up. Even if you have to delete a lot of wasted recordings for other meetings, it's yeah. worth it. Just you don't want to lose that opportunity to get that feedback. I just put a ticker down on the screen with uh, the website to go to winloss101.com. And in today's bonus resources, I literally linked to the page where you can set up how to turn on auto record for Zoom. There we go. So that it, you don't even have to push the button. You yeah. just start the meeting and it's automatically yes. recording. That's I hope we're recording this. Did we record? No. <laughs> oh, you literally just made a picture. <laughs> like, oh, are we live? But we, we've had Rodrigo sending us uh, chats. We got one from Mark as well. And so I know that we're Perfect. We're live, so. Perfect. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible feeling. Yeah. What about emails? Um, we can scale email outreach as well. Even the customized email outreach. Totally. Any, any recommendation? I mean, my first thought is your marketing team probably yep. has access to a, a, an email. Yeah, I software. think. And, and this seems obvious what we're going to say and I'll let Riley speak to it. It seems obvious, but you'd be surprised is why we are. It's a talking point for us today because there are individuals that believe that it should just be an, an email that I'm sending manually. Um, so we just want to recommend that. So it's <laughs> obvious, but definitely use another solution. So Riley. Yeah, definitely see if you can use whatever tool your marketing team uses. Um, if they don't have one, there's so many different solutions that you can find. I think on WinLoss 101, we have some Yeah, I linked to a bunch of them. Yeah, that's awesome. So I even linked to one that you can literally use. There's like a tool that you can use with Gmail and it's like a mail merge that uses cool. Google Docs. So if you don't have budget and you can't get access to like Marketo or whatever your team uses, like just use your Gmail, but you can scale it. You don't yep. have to yeah. send out 100 emails manually. Don't okay. do that. It'll take too long. But what I would say is a caveat to that is make sure whatever tool you use that you're able to um, actually send from your email domain. Mm -hmm. um, so like set up, it's called DKIM, where you can actually say, hey, this tool has permission to send from our company's email domain. So it looks legitimate. That way, it's not some random email domain and totally. that will cause right. people to think it looks spammy or fishy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. That's great advice. Anything else we need to talk about as far as technology is concerned? We've gone through a lot today. Yeah. Yeah, we have. So those are some good points. This is like, this is the most technical part of win-loss analysis, essentially. You know, there's a lot of steps involved in pulling the contacts, making sure they're the right contacts, getting people on board if there's people who are pushing mm -hmm. back, and then going through this whole process of like setting up the software, making sure that your Calendly is linked with your Zoom, your Zoom set to auto-record, and then setting up, a, setting up a bunch of emails. Yeah. So we've got instructions and recommendations at WinLoss 101 to help you through this process. Um, hopefully what you've learned here today will help you overcome a couple of the common hurdles that people run into when they're starting their win-loss analysis programs on their own. Uh, we wanted to give you enough information, including that template, that introductory email, email that you can find at winloss101.com. Uh, our hope is that we gave you enough resources that you feel confident that you know what to do to take the next step forward. Um, and your homework assignment for this week is to schedule your first buyer interview. Let's go. That's yeah. awesome. So like set up that Calendly, get your Zoom ready to go. It's probably most of that stuff might be readily accessible to you. And like send out a couple emails. Let's see if we can we can get you with a, a an appointment set up for next week. Um, next week we're going to be diving more into the interview process and what that looks like. So um, you can dive in blind and start interviewing before we have that session, or you can schedule inter your interviews out a little bit farther in advance and take those tips and tricks into, into consideration, but don't get ahead of yourself. Just like in those first couple, the first week, like all you were doing is choosing a revenue problem. Second week, all you're doing is coming up with your first draft of that living uh, document that is your buyer interview, interview guide. This week, all we want you to do is to book one. The, a success is 
booking one interview. It could be a win. It could be a loss. We just want you to have one interview on your calendar so you can sit down next week and chat with a buyer and start to see the value of everything that we've learned up to now. So yeah, don't get overwhelmed. Don't think you have to send out, do all 10 or 20 or 30, whatever your goal is, buyers this week, just get one. And we're taking baby steps and trying to build momentum and make some progress. Um, It looks like we do have a couple more questions that might've trickled in. Uh, Let's see, Dan said, I've been looking all over the WinLoss 101 website and I can't seem to find the resources being referenced. Can you share a direct link? Yes. And it might be that it's just marked as invisible. So I will literally check <laughs> right now live to make sure that we have that um, that published. Oh, look, it is hidden. So as of right now in um, this very moment, it is now visible. So if you refresh and you're in WinLoss101.com, there we go. see it now. Thanks for reminding me, Dan. I had that set up on my calendar to make it live and forgot. (laughs) That's why we have you guys, to keep us accountable. Um, Let's see. I'm trying to think if I have any other questions. You answered Rodrigo's question about one buyer per meeting. We talked about um, like validating contacts with sales reps. Anything else we want to touch on there that might be helpful? Um, What if you, I I guess here's one question that comes to mind. And then if we don't get any other questions, we can move on. What if I go through all this technology setup, I send out a hundred emails to buyers and I just don't hear from anybody. What do you do? That's tough. That's frustrating. Um, and you know, we, there are times when we don't have the success rate that we would hope that we have. It's very unlikely that that scenario you just painted will happen. So let's caveat with that. Cool. If that happens, email me directly and we'll (laughs) find some, a solution for you. Um, no, there could like some troubleshooting is necessary, which, I think maybe a, a final point to that is if you do have a hundred names and those are the hundred names you have, maybe do a soft launch, send a 10, make sure all the systems are working and that something did come through all the emails are going out, advice. go and s- schedule it yourself, send an email to yourself and make sure everything comes through correctly. So that would be like the first recommendation is before you send to your hard launch, send a soft launch to your, include yourself in that. And you go through the whole process to make sure all the integrations are happening the way you expect them to. And then, feel confident that you could send to the other 90 in that situation. And um, then at that point, if you don't get anything, come and talk to me. We'll make it happen. <laughs> I knew there was a reason I had to ask that question. <laughs> that was a great answer. Yeah. Riley, any final takeaways that you have to share with people who might be scheduling interviews with buyers for the very first time? Just, I think the process can be daunting. So hopefully the tips we shared aren't too overwhelming. Um, I would say, you know, like I said, it was just best practices. So if you can't, implement everything that we talked about, that's okay. Just take it one step at a time, do what you can. Um, even if it's not like the most perfect process, like any feedback is better than no feedback. And just to be clear, we've improved over time. Absolutely. We've had to learn all these things on our own. Hopefully some of these things give you a kickstart, but like our, our participation rates were much lower when we're, when we first started than they are right now. And we're going to continue learning things as well and improving. So don't be afraid. Like what is the, there's, have you guys ever heard of Adventure Time? There's, no, it's a, it's a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. There's a, one of my favorite quotes is from Adventure Time. And it, uh, he says, the first step to being sort of good at something is sucking at something. Yeah. And there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. If you've never done this before, you might suck a little bit yeah. and that's okay. And so be willing to lean into it and suck so that you can become sort of good <laughs> and maybe even become an expert. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys both for your time today, for your expertise 
I learned a lot having never <laughs> gone through this process before. And I know our viewers are going to learn a lot as well. Make sure you tune in next week when we're going to dive into the nitty gritties on how to be a really amazing win-loss interviewer. We'll catch you then. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Win-Loss Show. If you want instant access to the full Win-Loss 101 course where you can get access to all six lessons right now, a bunch of bonus materials, and you can find out how to get closed to conduct three free win-loss interviews on your behalf so you can get a better understanding of why you might have lost some of your more recent deals. Just head over to winloss101.com and sign up for free. We'll see you next week.